so in the spirit of continuing to see how I feel about being down here on the floor, I'm trying some more new things. As those of you who were here last time, I preached I had a nice little podium that, that Roland was lovely enough to bring in here. Um, and that, it, it, still, it just it wouldn't quite do. Just wouldn't quite do. So, so I asked uh, Jonathan, our lovely music director, if I could steal the piano and use it as a podium. And he's like, yeah, sure. I don't care. <laughs> so bless you, Jonathan. Thank you. Um, thank you, thank you. And, and I can see all of you better, right? And, and I'm guessing those of you who couldn't see me over here before can probably see me better now that I'm right here. Did you just say stand on the pew? Yeah. On the piano. No. <laughs> the answer to that is no. <laughs> not because I'm not crazy enough to try it, but because the poor piano has been through enough. <laughs> um, um, plug for the new piano fund while we're, while, we're, while we're here, while we're standing over this piano. If you have not given money to help get a new piano, do it today. And even if you have, and you have a little extra, do it, do it today. <laughs> While I'm standing over this lovely piano um, that's been through a lot and doesn't need me to stand on it. Um, a few weeks ago, uh, actually it's been a little over a month ago now, um, we had a music service. Um, that was led by the lovely Renee Sandin. that did an awesome job on that. Yes, yes. Um, and during that service, um, I gave testimony, and, and one of the things that I did was I started, for those of you who weren't here, with um, words to, uh, just something really simple that came to me one day, um, and I wrote it down, and I've been singing it for a little while, and it occurs to me, in this effort to continue to Think, rethink and reimagine what this time and experience can look like for all of us, um, I think I might want to open with it and invite folks to join me, if you recall it, or to, to listen out for it. It's going to happen a lot over the next few months because I just feel like it's important. It just came to me that this, is, this feels necessary <laughs> to open every time I preach with this. And so it, 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 and, and I'll, I'll help lead a little bit so you can understand it. May I be light in you. Can you do that with me? May I be light in you. May you be light in me. May you be light in me. Into our hearts, into our souls. Let love abide. Let's try it again. Into our hearts, into our souls, let love abide. Now we're going to switch a little. May I be loving you. May I be loving you. May you be loving me. From this place out to the world, 
for all time. From this place out to the world for all time. Because see, we're all teachers and ministers in here. And so just because I happen to be standing here doesn't mean that I'm the only one who has something to teach, right? So that's why I think it's important that we do that. So let's sing through it one more time, shall we? All the way through. May I be light in you. May you be light in me. Into our hearts, into our souls. Let love abide. It's all right. May I be loving you. May you be loving me. From this place out to the world for all time. Thank you. Thank you for blessing me with that. So, for those of you who may not know, um, I'm ordained in Metropolitan Community Churches, um, a church that was founded in 1968 by the Reverend Elder Troy D. Perry. Um, for those of you who don't, how many folks in the room know, know of or have heard of Troy Perry? Okay, a few, a few. Um, Troy Perry was and Assemblies of God pastor, and for those of you who don't know what Assemblies of God is, that's Pentecostal Church. Um, serious. Pentecostal Church. Um, fairly, in, in most cases, conservative, religiously conservative church. Um, he had been preaching since he was like six or seven years old. Um, and so by the time he was in his early 20s, he had a church, a wife, and a couple of kids coming um, on the way. He ultimately, I think, had three or four boys but Troy had a secret. Um, he was gay, and he knew that, and he had shared that with uh, the woman who ultimately became his wife, um, but that, you know, believed that getting married would help fix all that. <laughs> and he was able to manage it for a few years, but at some point it just wasn't manageable anymore because when you don't live into your truth, it's unmanageable. <laughs> Amen? Um, and so at some point the leadership of the Assemblies of God Church found out that he was gay, and as quickly as they took his church away and took his credentials away, um, his wife and children soon left as well. Um, and so he really struggled for a number of years um, with his relationship with God, with his relationship to the church. He wasn't sure what to do, and decided ultimately that he wasn't going to do anything. He was just done with all of it. Um, as happens sometimes, right? We get frustrated, and so we just decide we're just going to be done. <laughs> um, so he was done. He was done for a few years um, until ultimately something happened in his life. A good friend of his um, got arrested and for no reason at all other than for being gay. Um, and, and his friend said, you know, I don't think... I don't think God cares about any of us. And so we're just doomed. And something about that experience and, and several others that had happened prior to that changed something in him, in Troy. And ultimately, what he decided to do 
was to say, you know what, no. I need to stop living in what is familiar and do something different because I know that God loves me. I trust that. I always kind of have. But let what was going on outside have an impact on my life. And so he decided to start a church. And it started in his living room. It was 12 people um, in Huntington Park, California in October of 1968. And it became, ultimately, a church of 300-plus communities of faith around the world. Um, and that's where MCC is today, which is pretty amazing. Um, so, you know, it's pretty remarkable what happened in his life. Last weekend, people of African descent, our allies and friends, gathered um, for the eighth time since 1998. I think the first one was in 1998. Um, for what we affectionately call the PAD conference. Um, it's MCC conference for people of African descent, our friends and allies. And it was birthed out of a deep need to gather in community with people who looked like us and thought in many ways like us and had similar family experiences. Um, and, you know, much like much like in the UUA, there aren't very many people of African descent in MCC, right? And so we gather. Um, it used to be every other year, and now it's every three years. You know, in some churches, there might be one of us, there might be two of us in other churches, and churches are spread out all over the country and the world, right? So one state might have one church. <laughs> you know, it's not like here in Boston where, God, how many UU churches are there <laughs> in Boston? I, I don't even know, I'm sure. Somebody can tell me, but it, it seems like hundreds. <laughs> um, but in one state, there might be one metropolitan community church, and there might be one person of African descent in that community. And so it can feel very isolating. Um, and so we gather. It's kind of like a family reunion, is what it is. And I've been going since 2004. So these are folks who I've seen since 2004 They've watched me grow up. Like literally, they watched me grow up because I was really a child when I started going <laughs> um, in so, so many ways. But we were invited during this conference, this recent conference last weekend, um, to be the change. That was the theme, be the change. And the programming for the weekend was a little bit like a progressive dinner. Do, do, do folks know what progressive dinners are? Right, right. So, you know, you show up at one place, you have one course, and you can't really move to the next place until you've had that one course. And then at the next place, you have the next course, and then you move to the next, right? We get it. That's kind of like what this programming was like. You know, we had four plenaries on Friday and Saturday. And the first, we sort of talked about the history of the development of uh, the black church and the, theo the Christian theologies that came out of the experience of black folks um, and moved from that to talking about shame, blame, and guilt and the ways in which those ideas are cultivated in some of our Christian theologies. And then we moved into how the inner work that we have to do to think through those things a little bit better has an impact on the work that we do out in the world, right? And then the last piece was about intersectional justice, recognizing that we all bring so many different pieces <laughs> to this puzzle. It was remarkable. It was a remarkable, remarkable experience. And I 
was one of the programming people. So you can imagine, I was a little bit busy <laughs> over the last few weeks. Now, most folks, when they think about MCC, they think that MCC is the most progressive church in the U.S. and the world. And in as much as there tend to be more queer and trans folks in the pews, that's true. That's probably true. Um, but understand, many folks who come into MCC are folks who are coming from other communities of faith, right? And so because they're coming from other communities of faith, are bringing those Christian theologies into that particular church. And so sometimes MCC churches, even when there are more queer and trans folks in the pews than in most other communities of faith, can be fairly religiously conservative. And I think the fact that folks have a place to be and can be ourselves fully, in many, many times is enough. Like it's, it feels so good, right? It's one of the reasons why we have PAD conferences. It feels so good to be with each other that the deeper questioning about those theological perspectives doesn't happen quite as much. So I want to invite you to imagine the shock and awe that happened when the second plenary speaker, this was on Friday afternoon, started talking to everyone in the room, about 130 people, 140 people, started talking to everyone in the room about how we have to loose ourselves from the violence embedded in Christian theologies. It was bad. People were stunned. Stunned. Because that, that deeper questioning hadn't really happened as much in a lot of ways. And so he was sharing this stuff. And, you know, you can just imagine it. it's a big sanctuary, lots of people. I'm sitting in the front and the speaker's sitting right in front of me. And he's saying all this stuff about, you know, you know what is, what is it, how does it really make you feel to know that you know, you could have died, but God chose to kill his son so that you could live. Like, how does that make you feel? And, all, and, and at one point, like, it was just, it was remarkable, the energy in the room. Because people weren't expecting it, right? Like, what do you, like, what do you mean I got to challenge my own understanding of how all of this is supposed to work? I heard a lot of... <gasps> in the back. <laughs> oh my God. Did he really just say that? Like you can hear it. <laughs> All this stuff going on in the back. A couple of people actually got up and walked out. Because it was, it was hard stuff. You know, he managed to pull back the shades and flashed a really big bright light on the stuff that so many folks were carrying around. Like, he unpacked what that shame, blame, and guilt was all about and where some of that may have come from. And it was hard. It was hard. And all I could do, honestly, was sit back and, and kind of smile a little. <laughs> honestly. Like, that's my truth. I, I, I was smiling. And I was sitting up front, so nobody could really see me do that. But the truth was, you know, my... 
what he was saying aligned so much with my own understanding of Christianity. That, and he articulated it so well that I didn't know what to do with myself. <laughs> because I tend not to live in the death and resurrection. I really tend to live in the Gospels and Jesus' life. That's where my Christianity is. That's where it resides. And so to hear this person articulated in such a powerful way was stunning to me. And, and really just changed everything for everybody. His point throughout this one-hour talk was this. You know, we enter into a space with our own understanding of a thing, right? Whatever it is, we show up with that understanding. And if change and transformation is what we really seek around that understanding, once we show up, we actually have to work on what's inside of ourselves in order for that transformation to become real on the outside of ourselves. Does that make sense? So doing the work on the inside is necessary in order for the fruits of that labor to really show up on the outside. And that means wrestling with some really hard stuff. People were wrestling in that room. They were wrestling, and most of them stuck around for it, but they were wrestling. Because we can't get to the other side of that transformation without doing that intentional and internal work. And that speaker, his name's um, Dr. Ron Hobson. Um, he's both a psychologist and a minister. So that's his background. So you know, I encourage folks to look up some of his work. Um, but that was his charge for all of us. You know, I used to think that the foundation of my call to ministry was all about talking to, learning about other people and, you know, reading what I could manage to have time to read. Those of us in grad school know what I'm talking about when I say that. Or if you've ever been in grad school, you know what I'm talking about when I say that. You know, I was focused on taking in the world around me. <laughs> for a long, long time. Really, really long time. I stayed as far away from investigating me, engaging myself, learning about me, as much as I could. I, I just stayed far away. And as you might guess, I didn't get very far in my own transformation. <laughs> it's just kind of the way that works, right? And for those of you who may be thinking it, no, I'm not talking about my transition. That's a different thing. <laughs> Let me just be really clear about that. I've been very clear about that for a very long time. <laughs> but my own transformation in terms of who I was called to be in the world and what I needed to do in order to be that, I really, 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 really struggled. And so my unwillingness to be vulnerable and express my awareness of what I struggle with, what I need help with, what I hope for, was infused into the work that I did, right? If I wasn't gonna be vulnerable, then I wasn't gonna invite somebody else to do it. <laughs> and so that was the nature of the work that I did. And it was only in the moments that I could really step in 
step in and see myself, was I able to step out into the world and invite others into that sense of wholeness that I was hoping for, for myself. Even if, it's, even if it was only a little at a time. See, it's this, it's this journey inward that Hobson was inviting us to undertake. It was an opportunity to recognize that change, right? Being the change has to be embodied. Has to be embodied. We have to take it in and feel it and embody the importance of change, not, not just understand that change is important. <laughs> that's, that's critical. That's a good first step, right? It's important to understand that change is important. But to actually take that into yourself and live that out in ways that have deeper meaning is really, really where it's at. And it's hard work. Being fully engaged with the how and why and where and who and when of one's self is daily work. It's a spiritual, pra it's spiritual practice, is what it is. And so the trick with any spiritual practice is what? <laughs> to do it. <laughs> and to stick with it. As hard as it may be, to stick with it. That's the key. And to recognize that it's always not going to be comfortable <laughs> sticking with it, <laughs> right? I know sometimes I've engaged in spiritual practices where I needed to, that it required that I get up really early in the morning. I, I just don't do it well. <laughs> that's, that's my truth. I don't get up early well. <laughs> you can ask Elaine about it. She will tell you all about it. <laughs> It's bad <laughs> some mornings. And so I have a hard time sticking with it because it requires that I get up early. <laughs> right? This going inward is a similar kind of thing. It's hard, but it's important to stick with it, even if it means getting in the way of other things that we like better. It's a spiritual paradigm shift of Epic, epic, epic proportions. So when a congregation, for example, and you know, we're here, so. When a congregation says that it wants to not only understand that transformation into beloved community is important, but also be that transformation because it's just that important. All of the ways that we embrace change all of the different ways that we embrace change begin to sort of bump up against each other. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like if transformation and striving to live and build a beloved community is who we are and who we care about, we're all going to enter into that moment with our own understanding of what change feels like to us. <laughs> and sometimes you're not going to sit comfortably in the same space. <laughs> Those different aspects of, of change. And it's worth 
sticking with it. Right? It begins to look messy and feel unbearable and uncertain and uncertain. And, and I know that because I've been in the midst of it with some of you and, and you know, you guys talk to me. So I hear about it. But it's worth doing. The fact that it's hard doesn't mean it's not worth doing. James Baldwin, in an interview, was talking about the significance of art and the need for, for artistic expression, once said, if you can examine and face your life, you can discover the terms with which you are connected to other lives. And they can discover the terms with which they are connected to other people and to your life. The work matters. So how do we take that inner journey together in the same space, recognizing that we enter into it in sometimes very, very different ways? We examine what's messy, acknowledge it, Talk about what gets in the way. Be honest about why change is scary. Because it is. Just to help model this just a little bit, I want to share with you, you know, one of these things, you know, we have to ask ourselves, is there anything, and this is exactly what Hobson was getting at, is there anything in my heart mind or spirit that is keeping me from embodying transformation or being the change? Is there anything in my heart, mind, and soul that's getting in the way of being the change? It's a hard question, isn't it? It's a big question. It's not one necessarily that you can readily answer if somebody just walks up to you on the street and asks you that. <laughs> well, I need to think about that for a really long time. <laughs> But to help model this, I want to share with you one of those responses for myself because I think it's good to model these things. I, <laughs> I had a moment last night. I was like, am I really going to share that? Yeah, because it's necessary. It's important. I have spent my entire life being a very, very slow reader. I read very, very slowly. Remarkably slowly. It takes a long time for me to grasp what I read. It made the thousands of pages that were required reading in law school a unique challenge. <laughs> but I struggle with being a slow reader. And so, I carried that in me for a very long time. And ultimately, what I came to was the fact that I'm a slow reader, therefore, I'm not smart enough. And if I'm not smart enough, then I don't have anything to contribute. And if I don't have anything to contribute, then I may as well not speak up when I think it matters. Right? Do folks see the, the trajectory of that? begins with, I'm a slow reader, and it ends with, I need to keep my mouth shut. 
I have carried that around for years and years. Most of my life, probably. Most of my life. And, you know, it was perfectly reasonable. Because you can convince yourself that anything is reasonable. Right? It was perfectly reasonable for me to make those connections. If I don't pick up as much when I read as someone else, then I'm not going to have as much that I'm not going to have as much to work with in my analysis, and therefore, I should really just stay out of it, whatever it is. And so for quite a long time, I would sit silently in rooms and not talk much. I might have had a million things to say, a million questions, but I just wouldn't go there. But the worlds of reason and law and tradition can be oppressive, can't they? And they don't hold a candle to the intuitive and emotional wellsprings of spiritual vitality that exist below the surface. At the core of our being. I needed to make an inward journey. I needed to think through that a little bit better. And the, the really neat part is that the more engaged with that inner work we become, the less satisfied we also become with the current paradigm on the outside. <laughs> right? Does that make sense? Joseph Campbell once wrote, the familiar horizon has been outgrown. The old concepts, ideals, and emotional patterns no longer fit. And then the time for the passing of a threshold is at hand. It's work that I'm still doing because that particular issue still catches up with me sometimes. But there reached a moment at which the passing of a threshold was at hand. <laughs> because I was still beginning to do that work. And so the call to ministry that I was afraid of, because I didn't feel like I had anything to contribute, I can now begin to live into fully. Because that inner work is being done. What goes on in here impacts what happens out here. It's actually precisely why I'm really digging Ralph Waldo Emerson right now, which is very funny to me. <laughs> it's very, very funny to me. Today is May 25th. Um, it's his birthday. He was born on this day in 1803. And so, you know, it's historically significant to lift him up today. Um, but, you know, as I was working on the programming for the PAD conference, you know, I came across a quote which... If you, have, if you have Facebook, you probably saw in the notice for worship today. Um, it was a quote from Emerson while I was working on this programming and thinking about change and transformation. And the quote is, do not go where the path may lead. Go instead where there is no path and make a trail. <laughs> you know, the way the historians tell it, he lived a fairly typical life for a lot of years. But ultimately, because of so much of 
the distress that he was experiencing. He lost his wife uh, fairly early on. He lost his firstborn son. There were a lot of things that were going on in his life. And it really sort of forced him inward, right? Because he wasn't getting what he needed in his communities and got him to a place where he could recognize so very deeply the love that is contained within and the ways in which that love is meant to offer us something new and different if we would tap into it and acknowledge it and, and, and see it and feel it and share it. And like, I'm, I'm going to keep reading because this journey that he, has been, that he was on was really remarkable and sort of strikes at the heart of what we're talking about in terms of change and transformation. It's that ability to go inward in order to change the world. Taking that journey enables us to really tap into a force which can then inform our deepest thoughts and feelings about every aspect of who we are and who we hope to be. On the last day of the conference, the convener of the conference, Darlene Garner, passed around a microphone and asked people what they got out of it, what they hoped to take with them. And I'll never forget, uh, Miss Esther took the microphone. I met Miss Esther in 2004, um, and she has a little more gray hair now, and she walks with a cane now. Um, you know, she moves a little bit slower now, which she talks about all the time. Um, she's like, I was moving a little bit faster when I met you back in the day. I was like, yes, yes, Miss Esther. <laughs> but she took the microphone, quite forcefully, actually, because <laughs> she had something to say. <laughs> and what she said was this. I understand in a way that I never have. She's in her 70s. I understand in a way that I never have all of the ways in which we are divided in our church. And I need to do some work. You can imagine, she spoke very intentionally. I need to do some work to understand what I did to contribute to that. And then, she said, she's like, and then, I'm going to walk around in my church. I may move slow, but I'm going to walk around in my church and do all the things that I can do to change that. I may not have many more years left, she said. But I'm going to do the work. It brought tears to everybody's eyes. Because, you know, Miss Esther's been doing a lot of work for a long time. And you can imagine, a lesbian identified woman in her 70s has been through some things, right? She doesn't have to do a thing. <laughs> Not ever, ever again. But here she was. And I can just imagine the necessity within her own heart. You can just sort of feel the love bubbling up inside of her. That no matter how much her feet shuffle, no matter how many clickety-clacks of her cane people are going to hear in the church, she's going to do her work. Because it's important work to do. She inspired me that Saturday afternoon, and so I invite all of us 
into deeper conversation with ourselves? Is there anything in my heart or mind or spirit that is keeping me from embodying transformation or being the change? If we can sense what that thing may be, acknowledge it. Please don't judge it. Don't judge it. Try to understand it. Talk about it with someone you trust. Consider how it manifests itself in the everyday. Ask yourself over and over again, how can I move through the world with a different view? Practice and practice and practice some more until that paradigm shift becomes a part of you and therefore a part of all of us. Until that all-encompassing love that is at the core of our very being shows more brilliantly than that familiar horizon that we talked about earlier. The invitation is to be the change. Amen. Ashe. And blessed be.